Your financial mission, should you choose to accept it, is to achieve financial clarity. New Intel suggests that bad financial actors are constantly filling the landscape with misinformation and other barriers and obstacles, leaving you with limited time to make the right choices for a successful financial future. To make things easier, we've chosen your team for you. Financial Commander Janine Theus will help lead you to success. As always, should you avoid the excellent guidance you're about to receive, you'll be disavowed. Also, this message will self-destruct in three seconds. Three, two, one. It's time for another edition of Your Financial Mission. Walter Storholt here alongside Janine Theus, the CEO and founder of Theus Wealth Advisors, your financial commander here on the show. You can find us online at any point in time at theuswealthadvisors.com, serving you throughout the Columbia and Howard County areas. Janine, thanks for being with us this week. How are you? Thanks, Walter. Hey, it's great to be back and, you know, getting used to being back in the office after that knee surgery. So... I'm motivated. Janine has uh, and I have been texting back and forth as we've been plotting our next couple of podcasts, and it's hard to get off the topic of talking all about your aches and pains, isn't it, Janine? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I find is all my brothers who are also pretty athletic, it's just funny when we all talk that we start comparing all our injuries and then all of a sudden realize, oh my gosh, we sound like old people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Either old people or I'm sure in the military in your time, you know, at the Pentagon, it's the same way probably in that community, right? Like sharing your scars and that kind of thing. I always think of oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of that scene in Jaws when they're in the boat at night sitting down below deck and they start, you know, singing the song and they're comparing scars. Now they're shark scars and that kind of thing. But you know, we, yeah. there's something always kind of interesting about comparing our battle wounds and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, especially athletes do it all the time. Well, I had this, and what, what you know, and I had this. <laughs> How many surgeries have you had? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, you know, you see, in fact, I saw this, I guess it was last week. This woman is now 92, I think, and oh, wow. she's become a record holder in track she moves for a 92 year old but you know those folks didn't start being super athletic until they were probably in their 50s 60s so they don't have all the injuries and they're just scooting right along it was pretty cool video you're telling me about a friend of yours who kind of has followed that path right you used to beat everybody in any athletic competition and she wasn't quite as fast in the old days but now you feel like you're falling apart and she's now you know faster and ticking right along and doing marathons and all sorts of stuff oh yeah she's just cooking and she's a beast and we just laugh it's like okay karma <laughs> <laughs> we all peak at different times some That's in our it, 20s yeah. <laughs> some in our 90s you know <laughs> pretty funny very funny well we've got a great show on the way today we're talking about some of the things that have been happening in the news lately. In fact, we're going to dedicate the whole podcast to talking about a couple of different headlines. Now, there's been a lot in the news lately, Janine. We won't necessarily get into all of that on today's show, but we'll focus more on some of these financial headlines that we've come across recently. And I'm interested to get your take on these things. As you know, we kind of approach that election time frame. Maybe some uncertainty, I think, always kind of enters the financial realm whenever we go through an election cycle. And so I think we're going to see some more of that coming up here in a couple of months. So so let's see how some of these headlines are playing into the equation. So why not do it? Let's get you ready for In the News. Extra, extra, read all about it. All right, first headline, Janine, has to do with gold. 
Gold has been bouncing around or near its low point of the year for the past couple of months. Most analysts are saying it doesn't look like a particularly attractive investment right now. What's your take overall on owning gold? Well, I get this question a lot when I teach, and occasionally some folks will come in and ask about this. And it's just very interesting. So for those who want to really take a look at the big picture, you can go to goldprice.org, and it's going to give you charts. And if you just scroll down, what's really interesting about this is the financial media has vested interest in getting you to think about buying gold anywhere you can possibly buy it. In fact, recently I've heard a commercial that was so over the top with kind of predictions of, oh my gosh, the gold is going to go to $2,000 an ounce. You need to get in now because the market's going to crash. It's going to be awful. The dollar's going to crash. (laughs) I just started laughing because there was that much hyperbole built into the commercial. But the thing about gold is right now it's trading at under about $1,200 an ounce. Okay, that's low compared to in July of 2011, which is by the way, the highest point it traded at in 30 years, <laughs> it was at 1873. Hmm. So you can go back multiple decades here. The best time to have bought gold was probably back in 2000 when it was under $400 an ounce. It was like 280 bucks an ounce. And so again, you had the really super high point at 2011 and then again in 2012. But since then, eh, It's kind of hovered around since 2013, really, give or take a couple hundred, between $1,200 and $1,400 an ounce. So what's the purpose for buying the gold in the first place? The way the media tilts the conversation is it's a safety issue. Well, it might be if, you know, the world falls apart and we have catastrophic apocalypse, you know, (laughs) we all melt. You (laughs) might need a little bit of gold, but I don't know how you're going to use gold to buy bread. So... If you're going to own gold, my recommendation is own the companies that mine it, manufacture it, produce it, et cetera, like, you know, in a proper portfolio instead of owning pieces of gold, because that's not going to really help you. The long-term rate of return on gold is 1.6. So if you subtract inflation off of that, you're negative. So it's very interesting. I mean, yeah, it goes up and down and up and down. And again, the highest point in 30 years happened in 2011. So yes, it's low right now. I certainly would not trade in your IRA monies for gold coins that you put in your safe because you see those commercials on TV all the time. That would not be a good plan. So, you know, the media has a vested interest in getting you to panic into a gold purchase. But I would highly advise before you do that to have a longer conversation with an advisor that says, okay, here's the data that you need to really consider. And when you go into retirement, especially, you're going to need liquidity. Gold is not liquid. So that's a big problem for a lot of people that they don't see because they react emotionally to the commercials. Gold is not liquid? Just tell that to the Clampets, Janine. Liquid gold, black gold. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's interesting because I've heard this saying before, what's going to be more valuable if the economy truly crashed to the point where you were actually like, oh, glad I have this gold, is actually bullets would be more valuable than gold at that point, right? (laughs) Yeah, butter and bullets. (laughs) Butter and bullets. (laughs) 
if we ever got to that point. You could trade, that would trade be, the butter and defend yourself with the bullets. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's a Mad Max situation. So I don't think we're going there anytime soon. <laughs> Hopefully not. Definitely. <laughs> all right. Well, that's, I think it's a good discussion. It's so interesting that through time, though, through all this time, you know, that debate of gold and silver and precious metals has just continued to kind of stay at the forefront. No matter what happens in the economy, people always are kind of asking and thinking about gold. It just it has some way of grabbing those headlines throughout well, history. And it, you know, the folks who sell gold, who want to sell you the gold, make a lot of money doing this. Because what you don't realize is it's like a 2% fee and a 20% commission. So by the time, you know, you spend $1,000 to buy this ounce, well, they're taking the commission and the fee. So you're not really getting $1,000 ounce. You're getting less mm. by the time you actually purchase the gold. So they're making a ton of money on fear. Mm-hmm. And then you have to have a strategy for when do you sell. And it's just like any stock that you think you're buying low and you want to sell high. Most often, people don't do that. They violate the cardinal rule. And people will do it with gold as well. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, that's one headline that we saw recently that thought was worth discussing here on the Your Financial Mission podcast. Another headline that's of interest here, Janine, is when it comes to unemployment. And while unemployment has been falling across the board for a couple of years now, it's been falling most quickly for less educated workers. The unemployment rate for workers over the age of 25 with less than a high school diploma as of last look was down to just over 5%. So in other words, the job market for Americans who didn't finish high school has never been better. Kind of an interesting way to look at the data. What would be your take on this? Is it showing that education is overrated or is this just a temporary anomaly? Well, we are seeing a flip back. And I think this is a great thing for our economy because college is not for everyone. And I know a lot of people who didn't go to college who are extremely intelligent people. Mm -hmm. So depending on the major, (laughs) you know, that uh, you pursue in college, you know, it used to be go to college, find the career you can commit to for 40 years, get married, have kids, go to church on Sundays, buy a house, retire, then watch your kids perform the same feats in the same order. And that's what it's really been in the last 30 years. So what's interesting is the millennials right now are saying, we're not doing that as much. And I think part of that is a lot of the trades are coming back and in desperate need. And you can make quite a good living learning some manufacturing and trades skills. So, you know, the cost of tuition has skyrocketed. The federal government took over during the Obama administration, took over student loans, which is not a great thing. And then You know, you've got federal funding to colleges. So I think the government needs to get out of college because then maybe some of these tuition costs would come down. But you're an indentured servant coming out of college now. And a lot of kids are saying, we're not going to do that when you can make $90,000 in contracting or you can build yourself a business as a plumber or an electrician because those skills are always in need. And that's what we're finding now with bringing back manufacturing to the United States bringing back a lot of these jobs under the current administration, it's starting to really explode. So the trades are booming and probably will offer better pay in some positions than what a college education is going to be getting you. Yeah, after selling a house and buying a house over the last couple of months, I've been dealing with plenty of contractors and tradesmen, and I've seen the bills come in from those folks. So <laughs> they're, they're doing well. And then something else that really floored me, Janine, 
you know, because I was talking to some of these folks, and I was like, hey, look, so I'm selling this home, obviously fixing it up, and the home we're buying is a bit of a fixer-upper, and so I'm going to be doing some of these exact same projects at that home. Would you be interested in sort of, you know, if I hire you for both places, would you be interested in, you know, kind of a discount for hiring you for both areas if I can give you the two jobs at the same time? Because we bought first and then sold. So I was trying to kind of finagle a little bit of a discount if I gave them two jobs at once. And Mm -hmm. they're so busy that they have no motivation for the discounts like that. They're just, they're like, no, we don't really need to. Unless your houses are next door, that would be our really only benefit if they were truly that close. Then maybe we could, you know, work on something. But, you know, you're across, you're in a different part of town. You're in the next city over. They're like, nah, not for us. We'll just get to you when we get to you or we have other jobs. We've got them lined up out the yin yang, you know. You know, and that's pretty shocking when it happens to you, when you see that. But there are help wanted ads everywhere, you know, in middle America, especially. So according to statistics from the Department of Labor, projected growth for carpentry trade alone is expected to be about 24% through 2022. And that's where you're going to make, you know, upwards of 90,000 plus. If you're a good carpenter, or you're a good Finnish guy, you're going to make really good money. Now, obviously, that's the one thing I do tell kids, because I have a young kid who wants to take over his dad's business. The guy is a phenomenal contractor. And I said, listen, if you answer your phone <laughs> and get back to people promptly, you'll have more business than yep. you know what to do with. You know, those are just basic business skills. But, you know, I think a lot of kids are looking at some of the stuff that's going on in colleges now and saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to play that game. I mean, when you have an attorney... A lot of attorneys, depending on where they go to work after law school, you're coming out of law school with one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars of debt, and you're getting a job at fifty thousand, sixty thousand dollars a year. That's a lot of debt, and that's on top of any undergrad debt. So a lot of people are having second thoughts about you know the usefulness or the indebtedness that they're put into through college. So, and a lot of education is available online. So this is starting to change the dynamic as well. You know, a lot of kids are preferring apprentice style work environments so they can learn the skills. And I think we're going to see some big changes in the next several years. To me, it's healthy that there is an evaluation when it comes to college of this is the major that I'm thinking of, yet this is the debt that I'm going to go into because of that major. And this is the, you know, potential job range that I'm looking at, you know, upon graduation and mm-hmm. and not just taking it and saying, well, that's just part of life and actually taking a logical look at it and saying, okay, does this make sense to go $40,000 into debt or to, more or, or right. a lot more? Gosh, I'm using, I'm using my dollars, not yeah. what it costs to go to college just 10 years ago. Not now. It's a little different story even now, but well, you know, and for guys that want to be engineers, if you want to be an engineer, then yes, you probably need a degree, but you know, coming out of college with a woman's studies, black studies, whatever studies, sociology degree, what are you going to do with that? That's going to earn more than $35,000 a year, unless you're going to go be a prof. And even then, I think it's just getting it's just getting interesting where people are really starting to evaluate the usefulness. Yeah. And I think this is a really good thing because even semi-skilled professions are just growing like crazy. And so like the IT profession, if you're going to be a sysadmin guy or a network engineer type guy, what a lot of contractors want is certs. So if I can forego the BS of the first two years of my degree that I'm required to take and I can just get certs and I can make as much money, if not more, why wouldn't I do that? Right. 
Yeah. And I think the competition of the online schools, you kind of hit on it there, really important to not overlook. Maybe it'll have an effect to help reel in some of these college costs in at least some locations. I don't know. Maybe that's a pipe dream as, you know, the number of applications just continue to skyrocket for a lot of schools. They're just still Mm -hmm. being inundated and having to turn so many people away because there's such demand to get into certain schools. But maybe some of that online competition, a little bit more affordable education, maybe that'll start to become something that drives the cost or at least slows the rate of growth and cost for other colleges down a little bit. We'll just have to see. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting conversation for sure. All right, let's squeeze in one more headline here, Janine, before we wrap up the podcast this week. Speaking of debt, (laughs) we'll end on that conversation, but not just college debt. The national debt has now surpassed, and I think actually when we wrote this down as a topic, I have in my notes, $21.4 trillion the national debt has now passed. But now let me actually look at it. Uh, USDebtClock.org is where you go to check the national debt. Oh, okay, yeah, so we undershot that, or it just grew so quickly since we wrote our notes. It's now over $21.6 trillion. Here's my question, though. Life keeps on ticking by. We've been saying that the national debt's been an amazingly huge problem for a long time. When does the debt become a true, actual problem that we're feeling in our everyday lives? Well, it doesn't really affect folks. So if you take a step back, Looking at debt is only part of the picture. So if you think of a balance sheet, you have assets on the left, liabilities on the right, the net assets minus liabilities. So how much is the U.S. worth? I mean, has anybody ever thought of that? Oh, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I know. Kind of like, you know, what is your life worth? That kind of thing. Like if you were to take a life insurance policy out on the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, you're looking at all your assets. So all your savings, the cost of your house you know, whatever you own, minus any liabilities, so loans or mortgages or student debt or whatever, and then the net worth is what is left. And so obviously the higher your net worth, the more you're worth. So just as a kind of a comparison, I saw a couple of different numbers when I was just doing a little bit of research. The U.S. is worth over $238 trillion. We have land, resources, buildings, etc. So 21 trillion, 21.6 trillion, yeah, that's a lot of money and it can be a drag on an economy. But what is worse than the debt is the, what's the word, profligate spending that Ooh, Congress a does. Yeah, that every year. And so if we could get some spending under control without wasting, you know, a lot of money, that would be, I think, better than just worrying about the debt clock. Yeah, that's an issue, but two thirds of our debt is held by the public. So the government owes this to buyers of U.S. Treasuries, bills, notes, and bonds. And that includes, you know, anybody who buys bonds, or if you buy a bond portfolio, it has U.S. Treasuries in it. So that's individuals, companies, and foreign governments. So that's two-thirds of the debt. And then the remaining third is intergovernmental debt. So the Treasury owes this to various departments who hold government account securities. Social Security, trust funds are the biggest owners, and they've been running surpluses for years. Although everybody's afraid of the trust fund running out, but that's because Congress keeps taking loans (laughs) from the trust fund. So a little bit different situation. But, you know, the government is constantly moving money from the different buckets. So I'm not so concerned about the debt. You know, a lot of people like to say I'm debt free. Well, for us individuals, when you become debt free 
is more of, you know, a critical point, like I'm debt free in my 70s or when I'm retired. That might be a good thing. But the government's different because one, they print money. So they can just move money from different buckets. And so I'm not that concerned with a high debt because our GDP has gone up and I think it's going to continue to climb. What was it? This last quarter was 4.7% or something. Mm -hmm. We're doing really well. So, and the revenues into the treasury from just taxes earlier this year in April was the largest ever. So you're going to see it even bigger for 2018 taxes even though there were tax cuts and tax reform, you're going to see a huge amount of revenue flow into the coffers next year because that's what happens when people invest and grow and there's growth and then they pay more taxes. <laughs> so, you know, yes, different presidents have increased the debt over time. And actually, a lot of people are probably not aware that I think Obama was in terms of number, not percentage, but grew the debt the largest under the Obama administration. So, each administration for the last however many has grown that debt, you know, a little bit. But I do think that when you can grow the GDP, you can offset the debt. So I'm not an economist, but a lot of discussions I've had with folks who are, you know, economics majors, et cetera, or other advisors, I'm just not that worried about the debt right now because we have, as a country, huge assets. So it's just a little bit different way to look at it. Yeah. I think it's important to look at the entire picture is the big takeaway yep. there. And don't just focus on the one number. And we could probably point to a lot of different financial situations that have that same principle. Make sure you're looking at the whole picture and not just one little element when you're trying to get you know a true analysis on something. So do keep that in mind as you go forward. Well, that's a look at some of the recent headlines out there, Janine Theus's thoughts on those things. As always, if you have questions about your own financial situation, about your financial plan, give Janine a call, 443-718-6311 is the number to call. That's 443-718-6311. That's whether you want to talk about your financial plan or your aches and pains, it doesn't matter. Janine's there to discuss with you. <laughs> <laughs> you can also go online to theuswealthadvisors.com, check out the blog, past episodes of the podcast, tap into more resources and information there on the site. That's theuswealthadvisors.com. Janine, thanks for the help this week, and we'll talk to you again on the next Your Financial Mission. Thanks, Walter. It's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun as always. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For Janine, I'm Walter, and we'll talk to you next time. 